I've listened to Like Someone in Love by Ella Fitzgerald for months. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. It's me. It's you once again, as always, almost always. And we're coming at you with another album this week, dipping our toes into old timey jazz. Heck yeah! Yeah, this is such an interesting album. It's going to be a really, I feel like, different kind of episode in a lot of ways. I don't know. I just. Just have a hunch. Just have a feeling. Do you know a lot of Ella Fitzgerald? Do you know a lot of old-timey jazz? You seem to be like, I don't know, on the Frank Sinatra type, like the crooners and the... I am a big fan of Frank Sinatra and stuff like that. And I know some Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah? Not as much as I probably should. No. See, I thought the same thing. A long, long time ago, back in the day, I was like, man, I know her by name, and I'm sure I've heard her work, but I've never, like taking the time to invest in learning her music or learning about her and so i did and so we're here now i know at least 15 ella fitzgerald songs same yeah i don't think we could once again swing much wider than we did last week from (laughs) space opera with guitars and synthesizers and vocal sound effects and everything we're getting way more into the orchestra side of things this week yeah we are which we haven't done in a while which we haven't not done probably since i brought the world's best rapper george gershwin (laughs) the world's best rhapsody writer george gershwin (laughs) yeah i think this is definitely i mean obviously very akin to that and probably i'm just trying to think through all we've done and you might be right I'm always right, even when I'm wrong. Nina Simone, I think, came kind of close. Yeah, yeah. And Andrew Lloyd Webber, I mean, had an orchestral kind of sound, but it was very synthy in 80s and not 1957. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I suppose we should jump on into it. Let's do it. So I learned a lot. Like I said, I wasn't super aware of the history of Ella Fitzgerald before this. this I like these episodes where I get to learn a lot. (laughs) This is one of those. Yeah, and sometimes you learn too much. The mixtaper might say so, but honestly, for you, right, that's beneficial. Yeah. The host team, we got to get some wins. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, Ella Fitzgerald, the first lady of song, the queen of jazz. She was born in Virginia in 1917, but when she was still young, she moved with her mother to Yonkers, New York. That is a town name that always strikes me as very funny. I think that's my favorite town name I've ever heard. Yonkers. Yeah, I know. It's up there. Is that an actual word? Like, that's Yonkers? Yonkers have a definition, or is that just a proper noun that has no definition? That is apparently a definition thing, maybe? Yeah, the only one I'm finding is uh, an industrial city in southeastern New York on the Hudson River. Yeah, well, there you go. That's a yonker. Oh, wait, hang on. It can have another meaning, a young fellow. You can call a young fellow a yonker, but that's with a U. You have to put a U in it if you want to refer to a young fellow. Oh, like a yonker. Yeah, it's an archaic or dialectal term. Okay. Good to know. We're just a couple of yonkers. I suppose we are. According to podcasts. Sure. Just a couple of podcast yonkers. You could say that. 
Whether it's correct or not, I don't know, but you could say it. <laughs> it has been said, factual or otherwise. Well, when Ella Fitzgerald was still a Yonker, she was living in Yonkers, she grew up attending church with her family, which exposed her to a lot of music early on, especially, you know, hymns, church music. She also took up an interest in dancing, which I had absolutely no idea about. She loved it. She loved to listen to jazz. Her favorite artists included the Boswell sisters, Bing Crosby, and Louis Armstrong, which is, I mean, remarkable. She would go on later in life to collaborate with Louis Armstrong on some albums. And I can't even imagine how exciting that must have been. I don't know, just to get to work with someone who's inspired you for such a long time. In particular, she started trying to emulate the Boswell sisters, Connie Boswell, and incorporate her vocal style into her own singing. Really tried to channel that energy. But then, when Ella was 15, her mother was in a car crash and passed away due to injuries. After trying to live with her stepfather and her aunt, Ella kind of got caught up in a rough lifestyle. She started skipping school. She worked for mafia-affiliated gamblers. And she acted as a lookout for other underground activity. She was, like, in it. She eventually got caught... The law caught up with her, and she was sent away to a segregated orphanage for a while before attending a reformatory school upstate. People look back and kind of assume that she did a little bit of singing and busking in Harlem to earn extra money at this point in her life, but her real public musical debut came when she was 17 at the Apollo Theater, which is a very famous venue that was host to tons of jazz acts like her idol Louis Armstrong and more. They actually started hosting a regular amateur night, and she performed at one of the earliest ones back in November of 1934, almost 89 years ago. But she showed up to this amateur night, and she actually didn't plan on singing at all. She was going to get up and dance, because that was what she loved. That's, you know, her passion and her talent. But a really, really good dance act went on before her, and she was too shy to follow them up. She's like, oh, there's no way I can compete with that. So she put on her best Connie Boswell impression and she sang a couple songs. And she won first prize, which was a chance to perform at the theater for a week to like take up a mini residency there. But the theater actually never made good on that and she didn't get the chance. She did, though, start performing with Tiny Bradshaw and Chick Webb. She became a member of Chick Webb's orchestra and started performing at the Savoy Ballroom in Harlem. Her recording started to make waves, get some airplay, and her big, big, big breakout radio hit was a song that she co-wrote that you maybe have heard of if you're any kind of fan of Ella Fitzgerald. It's called A Tisket, A Tasket. It ended up being one of the biggest selling singles of the 30s, the whole decade. I have heard of that song. Really? Oh, that's cool. I feel like I'd heard of it, but again, I really hadn't listened to it or engaged with it. When Chick Webb passed away unexpectedly in 1939, Chick Webb's orchestra, they decided to go all in on Ella. They renamed the entire orchestra to Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, what a way to go. And the orchestra signed with Decca Records. That engagement lasted from roughly 1942 to 1955, and she put out a lot of iconic work in that period. As far as the Decca albums go, she would put out seven studio albums in the early years, including a record where she sang songs by our very best rapper, George and Ira Gershwin. That's, again, R-H-A-P, Rhapsodier. Rhapsodizer? Rhapsodizer, I like that. Yeah, well, I feel like, is that the proper word? Is there a proper word for one who... I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think Rhapsodizer is correct, but it's the one we're going to go with. 
That's for sure. I mean, so the definition of rhapsody is an effusively enthusiastic or ecstatic expression of feeling. So I feel like one who expresses enthusiasm or feelings ecstatically must be a rhapsodizer. Mm, That does make sense. Yeah, because you can rhapsodize to speak or write about someone or something with great enthusiasm and delight. I'll rhapsodize. We're rhapsodizing every week on this podcast about different artists. We're a couple of rhapsodizing yonkers. So we are. Right. Side note, a completely unrelated note. I think I found my unit for this week. <laughs> Please write it down. Write it down. <laughs> rhapsodizing yonkers. Yeah, the whole podcast is just a couple rhapsodizing yonkers talking about music. So that's Decca. just to get back on track. That's Decca Records. By 1956, she would move over to Verve Records, and she put out her other quote-unquote songbook records, where she would sing catalogs of other songwriters like Cole Porter, Duke Ellington, who we talked about on episode 94. Uh, she did one about Irving Berlin, Harold Arlen, Count Basie, and more. She's honestly a pioneer of this sort of songbook format. And it kind of, I think, contributes a lot to the tradition of jazz standards, right? The great American songbook that you started to introduce way back on episode 52 with Michael Buble. Yep. She has a version of Cry Me a River, which was one of my favorite songs on that Michael Buble album. That's right. Actually, this is a very spin cycle heavy uh-huh. artist because I remember on Michael Buble, every single song you're like, Ella Fitzgerald did a cover and <laughs> also Ella Fitzgerald did a cover and Ella Fitzgerald did a cover. Yeah. It was like every, yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it's a very historic genre like everybody covers all the popular songs and i wouldn't be surprised if you'd find you know well we'll talk about it you definitely can find a lot of covers of the songs on this very album you could hear these songs in a lot of different ways (laughs) but the reason she was able to do that songbook thing is because 12 inch lp long playing records were still pretty new at the time the very first one was made in 1931 so they're only like 20 years old maybe and that really opens up a whole new world of musical possibilities for people trying to make albums or collections of songs also in addition to the songbook style album she also did a lot of really captivating themed albums where she would do like an album of broadway songs or she would record the music from musicals like porgy and bess and hello dolly she did those records like i said alongside louis armstrong other artists collaborated with her it's such a rich unique catalog to dig in there and in the midst of those verve years in late 1957 she released the record we're talking about today like someone in love That's the name of the album, not the manner in which she released it. Could be both. Could be both. It's true. Like Someone in Love was recorded over two sessions in October of 1957. Sorry, Mixtober of 1957. (laughs) And it came out shortly thereafter, making this her 14th studio album and her sixth with Verve. Unlike her songbook records or her more themed releases, Like Someone in Love features some of the most popular songs from a variety, a wide range of uh, smaller, kind of less known at the time jazz artists. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons I was drawn to this album. One of the reasons I picked it. Because like, yeah, maybe it'd be cool to do the Duke Ellington episode, right? Where she sings Duke Ellington songs. But like we did an episode on Duke Ellington. We could do an episode on the Gershwins. We're going to do an episode on Louis Armstrong. You know what I mean? Like I kind of wanted to see this, right? The, The wide array of songwriters. We get to see 
more breadth of what the genre is offering at this time instead of just a deep dive into Irving Berlin or George Gershwin. It's like a better sampling of the jazz music of the period. Not to mention it's got pretty great reviews as a pretty exemplary body of her work. Like people like it. It's emblematic of a lot of what she's known for. And I think it's interesting because unlike what's probably the most similar album we've talked about, which is Duke Ellington, Ellington Uptown and his big band sound full of horns and drums and just big, loud orchestra, very up-tempo. This one is so much slower and and just more lyrical, obviously, since there's a singer at the helm. This album just feels a lot deeper, in a sense, than most of Ellington Uptown. But that's where we're hanging out this week. In total, over the course of her career, Ella Fitzgerald would release 59 records in her lifetime, which is absurd. 59 albums. It's so many. That is a lot. Yeah, and a vast majority of them did come from the 50s and 60s. She kind of slowed down after that, but honestly still put out work at a pace that rivals any contemporary music act. She's one of the most recognized names in music for a reason. Just an absolutely iconic voice, very powerful activism. She's got a real charm to her, just both in personality and the music that she makes. And I think that's really what's built her a legacy. As far as her accolades and awards go, she's earned 13 Grammys, and she was the very first woman to earn a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1967. 1967, like halfway through her career, she's got the Lifetime Achievement Award. She's achieved two lifetimes. It's absurd. And way back at the inaugural Grammy Awards in 1958, she was the very first black woman to win a Grammy. She is also the female artist with the most Grammy Hall of Fame recordings, with a total of nine. That's a lot. In it, though. She also has a Kennedy Center honor, a National Medal of Art, a Presidential Medal of Freedom, or, as some might say, she's had a presidential mix-up with Reagan and George H.W. Bush. Some might. The dastards of the world. Yeah. She's also earned... A George and Ira Gershwin Award, which I had to put in here because we love George. (laughs) She's won USC's Magnum Opus Award and honorary doctorates in music from Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, Howard, Princeton, and the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. One of these things is not like the others. (laughs) But there's obviously a ton more. I mean, there's scholarships and awards and foundations set up in her name. You could just go on forever into her career. It's a lot. In 1996, after some pretty severe health complications over the previous decade, including a double amputation of her legs below the knee due to complications from diabetes, Ella Fitzgerald passed away after a stroke at age 79. But of course, her legacy lives on in spades. She's just had such an incalculable impact on music. Rolling Stone ranked her number 45 on their 200 greatest singers of all time list, which I feel like maybe is a surprisingly low number for me. But that's okay. So anyway, that's the backstory. Let's get the mixtaper on in here. Yeah, let's get the mixtaper in here for some factor spin. What's the opposite of a yonker? I bet that's what the mixtaper is. I can't stress enough. Like, she was in yonkers for not a very significant portion of her life. So it's really interesting that we've latched onto that. <laughs> yeah, we really have. But it's okay. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, you old dastardly rhapsodizer. How's it going? Pretty good. Great. I heard you guys were talking about yonkers in, in here. Just a little bit. It came up. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite of a yonker. Darn. See, I knew it. I wanted to know what the word was, but I couldn't think of one. There's not really one. Oldker? Oh. I looked it up. You got middle-aged men, oh. people of old age, 
<laughs> it's just a normal phrase. Yeah, yeah. The closest one I could come up with was pensioner, <laughs> like someone who's on a, on their pension. Yeah, well, I'm on my pension. That's true. I mean, that's why you're here, right? To win money every week to pay your student loans. Yeah, yeah. I collect from my pension because I spun to the people in charge and told them I was older than I actually am. They fell from my spin. Are you confessing to fraud on a podcast? What? That's not fraud. Just spun. There's no crime against spinning. Okay, whatever you say. No, there's no laws against dastardliness. <laughs> nope, it's true. Show me in the Constitution where it mentions being a dastard. Let's just go on to fact number one. Yeah, let's go on to fact number one. I'm hoping that I'm out of the, the badness here. Last week, hopefully broke my curse. But we are. We're 50-50 now, right? Oh, no. No, you ruined it. We were 50-50 and then you ruined it again. Sorry, I ruined it during the Rush episode. Yeah. She loved a good parody. Oh, I love a good parody, too. What kind of parodies does she love? It's before Weird Al's time. <laughs> she liked to write parodies of her own songs. Oh, really? That's fun. Well, that's for you to find out. <laughs> I love it when you do that. I when you're like, Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> well, if it's true, it's cool. Yeah. Are they parodies just for like her to sing while she's just living life, you know, like walking around singing a parody of her own song? Or did she like perform them on stage for people? From time to time, she would perform them for like special groups. Oh, fun. <laughs> It'd be fun to, like, try and sneak a parody in a real performance and see if anybody noticed. <laughs> that would be fun. Do you have some, like, examples of things that she would parody? What were the lyrics like? Yeah, okay, so the example I got for you is her song, Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love, from her Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong album. Okay. I guess, do you want the real lyrics first? And then the... Yeah, yeah, the real, and then we'll compare it. Well, would you like to know what the parody's about first? So you can keep that in mind. Uh, while listening to the real lyrics and then sure okay so the parody is a song about urination oh <laughs> she wrote a song about taking a little pee pee <laughs> i guess she must have a little tinkle if this is true so the, the lyrics to let's do it let's fall in love are birds do it bees do it even educated fleas do it let's do it let's fall in love i know that song yeah and then like the parody version is dogs do it frogs do it even muddy oinking hogs do it sooner or later everyone has to go wee wee pee pee tinkle okay <laughs> yeah but but birds and bees also do it that's true you, you really you changed a lot everything pees yeah wait not everything most things pee <laughs> who'd she perform this for so the whole song is about a puppy who's tinkled in the house oh or needs to tinkle and is trying not to do it in the house mm -hmm. and so then you get into like the verse and it's like it's a puppy he has to pee pee but he can't because he's stuck in the house and no one's home how frustrating can we see Poor puppy, he really has to go. Everybody's got to go sometime. Dogs do it, frogs do it, even money oinking hogs do it. Sooner or later, everyone has to go wee wee pee pee tinkle. This is what you're starting with? <laughs> I thought I'd start with a real flashbang. Man, splashbang. <laughs> yeah, a real splashbang. Ah, man. Ugh. This cannot be true. Maybe she parodied songs. Maybe she did. I. You just really went all in with this song and i can't hey there puppy come here boy ha 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 i've come to set you free so you can pee ha 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 you sure are pokey we'll get you out the backyard in no time puppy ah that's better what a relief great work puppy now you can use your doggy door anytime you have to wee wee pee pee tinkle ha 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 that's the rest of the lyrics you make a compelling point in that you have all the lyrics to this parody <laughs> so i don't know if you if you wrote this parody or you found this parody but 
I mean, it has to have come from somewhere. Uh, maybe from the mind of the mixtape. Uh. <laughs> Man, maybe. But I don't think it came from the mind of Ella Fitzgerald. You locking in spin? I'm going to lock in spin. I also just it can't. I can't help but notice that like the cover of this album is very yellow. So if you were like looking at this album, <laughs> think of a lie. Like that might be close to the top of your what? brain. I don't know. <laughs> this is not true. How how derivative do you think I am? How dare you? You tell me. How derivative are you? Pretty derivative. This is a spin. <laughs> <laughs> why why would you think I believe that? I mean, parody fine. You just picked a really aggressive like you went all in on this. <laughs> well, because I thought if I started with it as a flashbang, you'd be like, he has all the lyrics. Why would he think I'd be- I'd believe this? It must be true sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you definitely did have all the lyrics. Did you do that? This is a real parody. No. Okay. This is a real parody performed on the Nick Jr. show, The Wonder Pets. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Wonder Pets? Yeah, The Wonder Pets help a puppy get out of the house to go tinkle. What's going to work? Team, I actually before we were recording was whistling that, and I was afraid you were gonna pick up on it because I kept subconsciously whistling that theme. Okay, hold on though. Let's let's like unpack that. Uh huh. Even if I had picked up on the Wonder Pets, do you think there's any iota of a chance that I maybe would have connected that to <laughs> one random episode where they sing an Ella Fitzgerald parody? You knew about elevator brand names. I don't know what you do and don't know anymore. <laughs> Okay, touche. Wow, that's unreal. Yeah. Do you think kids... Why why is that in the show? Kids don't know the song. Kids can't know the real song. It's about the birds and the bees. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, Wonder Pets. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'd blitz you with urination. Man, yeah. Well, we'll leave the Wonder Pets P songs to the Yonkers and (laughs) move on. Uh, Let's do... It's kind of in the same vein. She's an improv artist. I sure hope that's the extent of the same vein that it's in. Yeah. Well, remember when... Uh, I'm going to have to remind, f- refresh your memory. It's been a minute. But uh, you said it'd be really cool if she just made up random songs and sung them on stage. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that because it was about three minutes ago. Yeah, I said it's been a minute. Sure. <laughs> Is that what she did? Uh-huh. Just like made up random songs on the spot or like made up lyrics, made up a melody to an existing... How does this go? She forgot the words to her song. Oh, so she was like forced to improvise. This is like a one-time thing? Uh, yeah. Okay. Which song did she forget the words to? Mac the Knife. Okay. And you might not remember this because it's been a minute, so let me remind you. Remember when I said, what if she just sang a parody of a song or changed the words? Would people notice? I'm going to ask that again. Did people notice when she changed the words? Uh, well... Were they shocked? Surprised? I guess I don't know if they... Did they tweet about it? (laughs) They definitely didn't tweet about it. Didn't think so. (laughs) Well, birds do it. Yeah, birds do do it. (laughs) I don't know if they really noticed or not. I don't know which way to answer that. They noticed enough to have it go on to win two of her Grammys. Whoa, it won Grammys? Yeah, a recording of that performance where she had to improvise the lyrics. Whoa, that's remarkable. I like this. I think this one is true. I'm going to say that this one's a fact. I'm sorry to tell you it was only one Grammy, and therefore... (laughs) Okay. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is a true fact. Oh. All right. Woo. Only one Grammy. Good grief. Uh, yeah, this is a true fact. 
maybe if you'd flipped the order of these and like we had established yeah i really debated which way to go i think either way you were bound to get one of them right and the other one wrong well in my head <laughs> like like i was like no matter which one i gave you first you were gonna get the second one right after knowing the answer to the first one gotcha and so i thought i had a better chance of getting you to say the spin was a fact than to say this was a spin okay that makes sense good strategy in theory but i guess we don't even need to play the other two rounds because you have to miss them in order to go 50 50 this week so uh well i'd still like to give them a shot if you don't mind oh okay do you want the call back or the the pun first oh i love a good pun let's let the callback end it marinate a little more let it be more of a callback yeah give it a couple extra minutes yeah exactly if you're excited for that you're gonna have to wait and figure out what we're calling back to i don't even know great well in that case she is a heavy metal singer (laughs) what in the world could that mean even in this context what does she sing about iron I don't know. What are you going for here? She's a singer who has a heavy metal. She has a heavy metal? Well, I don't even know if the metal itself is heavy, but, you know, I just, I really wanted the pun, so. Sure. I mean, take away the heavy. She has a metal. Are you talking about, are you talking about, like, an award? Kinda, yeah. Like a heavy, like an M-E-D-A-L metal? Yeah, M-E-D-A-L. Yeah, she has a heavy metal. She's a heavy metal metal singer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. (laughs) And the word heavy is there for a reason. It wasn't just for the pun. No, it was a a medal of importance importance like uh, emotional weight uh, grander uh, was it big uh, okay please translate your noises into english <laughs> oh oh those were both no's well what's so heavy about the metals the metals they were made out of they're heavy metals okay really that's what, what kind of heavy metals are the metals made out of osmium and iridium i frankly don't know much about either of those yeah i went down a real mixtaper hole with this one it's like a normal hole but it's wearing a mask <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't the callback. No, no. Still coming. Still coming. <laughs> I went down a real mixtaper hole on this one when I found this. Yeah. It hit the history nerve that I have. Yeah. The history taste bud, really. I have, I have a real taste for history. Okay. <laughs> so she was given a medal made out of a phonograph needle Ooh. that they engraved her name on. Phonograph needles aren't big. <laughs> no. That's why when you're like, was it a big medal? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so it's just a little, like a, almost like a necklace. It really probably should be called a necklace, but then I don't have the heavy metal singer pun. So <laughs> Okay. So the phonograph needle is made out of osmium and iridium. Correct. Which, I again, the heavy part of that comes in because osmium and iridium are the two heaviest stable metals on the periodic table. Really cool. Okay. And that's what they made phonograph needles out of. They're mainly used for phonograph needles and fountain tip pens compass bearings it's it, you combine osmium and iridium to make osmiridium is what it's called oh uh, because osmium is like not as stable on its on its own but it is when combined with other things like iridium or platinum yeah like i said i went down a real mixtaper hole none of that's important the important sure. part is that <laughs> she has a phonograph needle with her name engraved on it given to her by decca records after the success of one of her songbook albums okay awesome what's engraved on the needle did you say is her name yeah her, her name something her name okay how do you do that oh it's obviously very small to fit in the groove of a record i mean i actually i have a picture of it and it's bigger than you would think like the tip of it gets really tiny but it like on these older phonographs it's chunkier than like you would see on a phonograph or a record today right in terms of its overall length and it gets to a wider diameter the farther down it you go uh-huh and is it inset into anything or just like loose attached to a string or a i don't know chain or no no it's just like that on like a chain interesting heavy metal singer yeah (laughs) hardly a metal not heavy at all 
I'm going to say it's a fact. Locking in fact. This is a spin. (laughs) I didn't even ask about like if she wore it a lot. I could have dug deeper. Darn. So there's no necklace then. Well, so I first came up with this pun in relation to her Medal of Freedom. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the direction I thought we were going to take at first. Yeah. But then I saw it was on the rundown. So I was like, well, let's just turn it into a spin because I like the pun. Yeah. And so I was like, what would be a cool like metal shape? And I was like, a phonograph needle. And I was like, but how do I get like, like what, a giant phonograph needle? And then I like got looking into phonograph needles <laughs> and found out that they were made out of the two heaviest stable metals. <laughs> I was like, perfect. I mean, hey, it worked out. I admire your craftsmanship. Thank you. That was a really well done. What a cool prize that would be. Like, actually, that'd be a very interesting piece of memorabilia. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the moment the audience has been waiting for. This big callback that now we've overhyped. Yeah. The Lord of the Ringos failed her. Wow, that's a different callback than I thought. Okay, well, in episode 100, on the B-side, we talked about how the Beatles almost made a Lord of the Rings movie. They tried to cast themselves in a Lord of the Rings movie, and then we called it Lord of the Ringos, which is funny. Hilarious, in fact. Yeah. Not to pat ourselves on the back. But we will. little pat-pat. But how does it fail her? Is it a reference to their, the Beatles making Lord of the Rings? Is it just a reference to Ringo? Um, I mean, both. Okay. Yeah. So in 1965. All right. Set the scene. 1965. Oops. Clicked on it and opened a different tab. What are you talking about? It's 1965. That doesn't mean anything (laughs) to me. Clicked. Which? Opened a tab? Like you're at a bar? Uh, Anyway, the the Beatles, you know. I do know, yes. Yeah, it's 1965. You better know who the Beatles are. What, you've been living on a rock? That's right. Man, one of the best bands so far. They're probably going to be around forever. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Well, I'd sure like to believe it. It's 1965. Definitely not just for like five more years. (laughs) Yeah, sure hope Johnson pulls us out of Vietnam. You're Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, okay. And you hear that the Beatles are wanting to make a Lord of the Rings movie. Wait, it's actually genuinely about the Lord of the Rings movie? Yeah, well, that's why I said it's kind of about both. You know, it's about Ringo Starr of that, and it's kind of about both. Okay. Why would it, You don't think I would just call it the Lord of the Ringos failed her if it didn't relate to the Lord of the Ringos? Yes, I do, because you just said the last one was that she was a heavy metal singer. Oh, well, that's fair. <laughs> when framed that way, <laughs> you hear about this because you're asked to be in it by the Lord of the Rings ringo's himself ringo star oh really ringo calls me up me as ella fitzgerald and says you want to be in a movie we're looking for some groovy famous singers to be in this movie with us are you in or are you in and she's like i'm in what is she just there to do the music or is she there to like play a part in the movie oh i I assume to play a part whoa okay And she's like, I'm in. She was in on this? Yeah. Amazing. She had an acting career. Yeah, but like, I don't know. The the Beatles' Lord of the Ringos is just, I don't know. I don't know if that's on my priority list of acting gigs. In 1965, when the Beatles are at like the height of their popularity, I think you'd be down for anything the Beatles wanted to do. You're probably right. Unfortunately, the Lord of the Ringos never sees the light of day. No, as we know all too well, because it doesn't exist. And uh, to make it up to her, Ringo Starr helped her write a novelty song. Whoa, this is involved. Well, we know that she's an improv artist. What kind of song did they write? A song about Ringo Starr. (laughs) She wrote a song about Ringo with Ringo? Yeah. What's the song? Ringo Beat. Interesting. So it's not a song that she gets to sing and have, right? Ringo takes this song and does it. No, she recorded it. Oh, she did? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Have you listened to it? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, my next question doesn't matter. Oh, okay. What was your next question? Is it any good? Oh, well, I can't answer that. Apparently not. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Bad reviews? Yeah, yeah. One of Fitzgerald's biographers called it awful, and another jazz like critic is that the, the right term is it someone who's criticizing jazz yeah i guess i don't know like a jazz like what we do but like with more authority oh rhapsodizing <laughs> <laughs> you know like well like you got like a food critic right who's like an authority on food like what do yeah. you call like a, mu- a music critic right i mean yeah yeah okay okay i just uh, well i asked is that right and you didn't give me a straight answer i was i was scared but it seems right i just don't know the, who you're talking about so how can i know i just some some random critic called it her worst song ever Woo! wow jazz radio stations refused to play the song because it was so bad yikes is, is it out there in the world today can i listen to it yeah right here Ella Fitzgerald, minute 46 ringo beat well that's proof enough for me that the song exists i think mm-hmm. at least a song called ringo beat exists and is a minute 48 <laughs> whether ella fitzgerald actually did it or not minute 46 please. is still Sorry, still up for debate. Uh, whether she did it because of Lord of the Rings is up to debate. Yeah, you seemed really skeptical of the idea of Ella Fitzgerald doing it. What was that all about? No, not you the song. You were like, oh, it's called Ringo Beat? Oh, so Ringo did this then. And I was like, no, Ella. She's like, and you were like, really? Well, I'm skeptical of that because Ringo has done this thing where he co-writes with people and there's songs about him and then he puts them on his albums. Oh. <laughs> Look at his self-titled album. Really? He's got a song called I'm the Greatest that he wrote with like John Lennon. Oh, really? About how Ringo is great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. So he, that's just like a thing. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know what to think. <laughs> if it's true. There's no way you wouldn't include it about the Beatles. But also, this is just a very peculiar thing for you to make up, I suppose. I'm going to say this is a fact. Lock that in for me. I would like to lock in that this is a fact. This is. I either win or we go 50-50. A spin! 50-50! Oh, wow. Really? Now, what if I told you none of this was true? I made up the song. I made up the time. I'd be really impressed. If I told you that, we'd have another spin on our hands because the song does exist. But, uh... Yeah. There's a song called Ringo B by Ella Fitzgerald, minute 46. However, Ringo did not help write it at all. She just wrote it about him because she was, quote-unquote, desperate for a hit. It sounds like it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It was written and recorded by Ella Fitzgerald. It was inspired by the popularity of Ringo's star. See, the Lord of the Rings part was the part I was feeling dubious about the whole time. Yeah. So here's my logic with including that. He'll be dubious, but he'll ultimately decide that there's no way I would try to slide that past him as a spin because of how obvious it was. Yeah. And is that kind of where your mind went? That like, like, why would he lie about this? Pretty much spot on. Yeah. Nailed it. I gotta say, I'm listening to the song right now. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's certainly not good. It's minute and 46 second length is a mercy, honestly. <laughs> wow. That's wild. Well, I think this was a fun one. This was. It really blitzed you at the beginning. Uh, hit you with a cool... Yeah. The blitz at the beginning is one of the weirdest facts <laughs> we've seen in a, in a bit. Usually the weird ones are true, too. <laughs> Sometimes. Or at least have some inkling of truth to them. Mm-hmm. We learned some science today. This was science. I'm a... Critic. <laughs> 
I'm the mixed guy who spins and lies. What are you talking about? Mixed guy who spins and lies. Mix, 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 mix. Gosh. <laughs> I, for some reason, when you started talking about rocks and heavy metal, I thought we would end up here. At, at Bill Nye? Oh, no, on a Bill Nye the Science Guy track. It just didn't register when you said it right away because... It was that bad? It just didn't. Because why would that have registered? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see you next time for more facts and probably more spins if i had to guess and i will maybe even no facts maybe even (laughs) oh don't do that you've spun so much but until then yeah yeah indeed hi connor hello did you know about the wonder pets p song i actually watched the wonder pets as a kid yeah i feel like i mean i was aware of it i don't know if it was popular when i was wonder pets watching age well my sister was wonder pets watching age and so therefore i saw it too mm-hmm. i could not have told you that existed just on my own but hearing the mixtaper talk about it i'd absolutely remember that episode oh goodness wow you got a good memory i'm not allowed to question it ever again sorry what are we doing a podcast What's that? I'm still in 1965. Shoot. We forgot to bring him back. Well, it's okay, though. This album came out in 1957, so you can still talk about it from 1965. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, we can still talk about it. We're safe. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the album cover first. Okay. I honestly don't have anything to say that I didn't already say. It's yellow. (laughs) She's looking up. What do you think she's looking at? Aliens? No, probably, probably not aliens. Maybe something else. Maybe she's looking at someone she loves. Oh, I think actually, she's actually just looking at the album title written up there. Oh, she's like, why are there words floating above me? Yeah, maybe. How how is this happening? It's 1965. We haven't invented floating words yet. Still haven't. Let's talk about the tracks. This is going to be a different one, I think. I have some thoughts on this whole album. We got 15 tracks to talk about. That's a lot of tracks. I know. We'll probably have to keep them kind of short and sweet. Okay. But just in general, I want to preface by saying, like, me listening to this album, like, I tried all day to come up with a metaphor for it. Like, you remember on George Strait how you talked about he's a chocolate cake kind of guy? Or just too much and... No. Yes, that's what you talked about. Yeah. How he was too much all at once and it was good, but you needed some milk or something to break it up. You needed to mix it around a little bit. Sure. This isn't like that, but I don't know what to compare it to where I feel like this whole album has a remarkable degree of continuity to it i think all these tracks have just kind of blended together in my mind and it's not a thing i ever need a break from or get sick of it's like a strand of dna a lot of moving parts a lot of nuance and a lot of dna only has four moving parts. you know all your dna works together but uh and you know there's a lot going on in that little strand dna and yeah. uh life finds a way i i I don't know if that's entirely accurate. Find your inner gold bloom. I just think I always enjoy listening to this album, every part of it, and I probably could just listen to it on repeat. It's like a good bowl of chowder. Chowder. I was thinking of a bowl of soup, honestly, where every bite is like the same ingredients, but maybe sometimes in different quantities. It's like alphabet soup because there's words. Okay. It's like a box of chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Never know what you're going to get, but it's still chocolate. Right. So anyway, that's my point is this whole album really runs together in my mind a little bit. So as I was listening and trying to take notes on every track, just like think about each track as an individual song, it was so hard just to separate them from this album as a collection for me. And so that's why my thoughts on all the tracks are shorter. It's just because I feel like they'd be very similar. You know, I I was joking around with a lot of really bad metaphors, but... um, You were. (laughs) It really is, I think, what you're looking for. Almost like... 
like a tie-dye canvas. There is all the individual colors going on, right? But when you look at it, you just see this big blob of like art, right? Like it's hard to sometimes get in there and see the nuances of where the colors change from one to the other. Oh. There's a lot of stuff going on in from where like the red turns to blue, right? There's some purple in there, some black, some brown, you know, where as it transitions. Yeah, all kinds of different shades. Yeah, but it's hard to really pick that out because you're just seeing this big splotch of red and blue and you know it's hard to focus on the transition i think that's fair yeah actually decent analogy boom nailed it boom nailed it well first up on the track list is there's a lull in my life it's by mac gordon and harry revel and it just honestly starts with one of the best tracks on the album i love the opening there's something so instantly nostalgic about it but uh but uh but uh it's such a classic like you know just those little like horn falls where it's like but uh but uh just like that's kind of what you did when we were going to 1965 that's true <laughs> you like did a little <laughs> like that's how iconic it was <laughs> i know you're a big brass guy but i'm really taken by the woodwinds and the flute and stuff on there's a lull in my life it's good the woodwinds have their space they just need to learn where that space is and stay there right i think it's really interesting to open an album called like someone in love with a song like this yeah because you're missing that love it's a sad song it's you're missing the person that you've been in love with there's a lull in my life the moment you go away everything stops everything slows down and and it's just not right things are just missing when you're not here which is really the kind of powerful emotion you'd only experience like someone in love i think it's an excellent start to the album i agree definitely one of my favorites and i think it's followed up by another really good one i feel like every track is followed up by a really good one that's what i'm saying but the next track is more than you know by edward elisku billy rose and vincent humans the song first appeared in a Broadway show, the 1930s show Great Day. Nice. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. Maybe. You're a Broadway guy, show tunes guy, but it doesn't sound like a show tune, like a Broadway song to me. It kind of does. It sounds like one of those old-timey ballads from a musical. I guess I'm not familiar with 1930s Broadway. It absolutely has that vibe to it. You're right. I do hear it. and I just also want to point out, I think sometimes it seems like we're more critical of older music because of the lyrics, but I really think there's... A sweet spot in the middle where the lyrics just fall apart. What's the reverse of a sweet spot? A sour spot. Like this, these lyrics are impeccable. Whether you remain or wander, I'm growing fonder of you. You know, friends forsake you, blah, blah, blah. Like they're so, it's just a different lyrical style altogether that feels so much more expressive. And then we go through this period, right, of like, I don't know, rockabilly, blue and you and stay in May and like very easy rhymes, very short words. And I guess maybe that's just due to the rhythms being fast and trying to fit lyrics in. I think that's a dip. Then you get to like more modern times and the lyrics pick back up again. But I think there's a definitely depending on the genre in the time period you're in. I think sometimes there's, there's a sweet spot, sour spot where lyrics dip. But this is this predates that immensely. Certified poetry, whole album. Pre-dip. Yeah, this is some pre-dip certified poetry. <laughs> I found it. I figured it out. It it gives me My White Knight vibes from the music band. Oh. Hmm. That really is just softer, you know, light on the instrumental love song. Also, More Than You Know has been recorded by other artists. Remember I said we'd get into it, go through them. It's been recorded by Count Basie, Cher, Bing Crosby, Barbara Streisand, and in 2022, Minnie Mouse, like the Disney character. Oh, when? Yeah. 
Uh, I think it was recorded in 2019. So The Music Man became a hit on Broadway in 1957, the same year this album came out. Oh. So I think that's actually kind of fitting. <laughs> it reminded me of a love song from that. <laughs> oh, how about that? I didn't know. More Than You Know is all right. And I, like I said, it's a great song. I don't think I'd rank it amongst my favorites. Hmm. What I will rank amongst my favorites is What Will I Tell My Heart? Oh, man. This is, I think, one that I even knew outside of the album. Maybe one of those jazz standards I've heard out and about. But it's by Irving Gordon, Jack Lawrence, and Peter Tinturin. It's all about a relationship that's ended, right? The guy's gone away, and she's left having to explain it to everyone around her. You know, to the town, to her friends, to her family. I know what I'm going to say to them, but what am I going to tell my very own heart to keep it calm? Yeah. And like break the news to myself that you're gone. I can't cope with it. I'm not coming to terms with it. What do I say? What do I do? Such a cool concept. It is a cool concept. And I love the dichotomy too between these types of talking to people. It's easy to say to strangers that we played a game from the start. You know, I can lie to a stranger. There is no stakes. But when I'm dealing with my own heart, I have to be more honest. I have to be like, I know what happened for real. There's no disguising what's absolutely been true. It's awesome. And then, you know, there's lines here like wandering home to a telephone that forgot how to ring because she's not getting calls anymore. Wow. I just like it a lot. And her voice is so good. (laughs) So clear. I don't think she misses a note at all she's got that same kind of like richness to her voice that george Strait maybe had that you were chocolate caking about she does but it's used in such a different like softer way that's really powerful definitely these first like four songs and i'll have to see if it continues on all could just be like one long song (laughs) in terms of their like they all flow together so seamlessly it's true and because it's one of these older records songs were so short yeah i mean you fly boom 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 track 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 like three maybe three and a half minutes on most of these i mean some of them even get down in like the closer to two and a half right and so i really don't think she gives you a chance to get bored or burn out but i really feel like i couldn't i don't think it's possible we'll see i don't know i'm curious about your response to that as the guy who had chocolate cake with george Strait, who sometimes needs things to be mixed up a little bit happened with leonard skinner a lot too mm-hmm. across genres feel like you like to mix it up a little bit mr shuffle playlist yeah I think the first one that doesn't really fit, and it still has that same vibe to it, it just wouldn't be able to be one continuous song. The first real break you get is track five. Track five? Okay. I was going to say track four. I said that the first four all sounded like they could go together. (laughs) No, I know. Well, I just, I think it's interesting because I never had a chance. The fourth track starts with just her vocal over silence. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like that's a definite break for me. Uh, At least mentally. It feels like a cold stop. Not the way track three, like, ends. Yeah, that's true. It It is a pretty natural pickup. Track three ends with the music kind of fading out, which then makes it a natural transition to just her voice again. (laughs) Fair enough. Like when it just plays through, it's just like the music fades and then there she is still singing the exact same tone, style. It just transitions right in. The first one that's really different is that the musical shift in track five. Yeah. Takes on a bit more of a swing vibe. Mm -hmm. Well, I Never Had a Chance is by Irving Berlin, a classic. Just, it doesn't get any better. If you're looking at like 1930s music, Irving Berlin is a great place to start. This originally from 1934, 
Dean Martin and the Nat King Cole trio have also done covers. But Close Your Eyes, you thought, was different? Mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, she's got more of a swing vibe to both the music and her voice. Yeah, it feels like a little bit of a Latin kind of groove going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is, I think, unique on the entire album. I think there's nothing else on the album quite like Close Your Eyes, which is awesome because it makes it one bit that always stands out to me. You know, it, it kind of rises above what the tie-dye canvas of the rest of the album. Yeah. It's a part of the canvas that my eyes are always drawn to uniquely. Close Your Eyes is by Bernice Petkir, also from 1933, and it was first done by Freddie Martin, but other famous versions include Peggy Lee, Doris Day, Liza Minnelli, Queen Latifah in more modern times, and more. That's wild. One of the things I noticed about this is the bass, the upright bass you can hear in the background sometimes during Close Your Eyes. Yes. It's subtle and almost not there. It's like missable, but it brings such a rich texture to the song where so much of the rest of the album has been, I mean, like violins and woodwinds. That just adds all the more. And I mean, rare percussion. To talk about the Latin groove, it's not really a drum heavy album. It's maybe one of the only places I can explicitly remember drums is on Close Your Eyes. But also, I mean, if the first four tracks just run together and track five feels like the start of something new, it also feels like the end of something because We'll Be Together Again, the next song, also feels like it starts fresh all over again. Yeah, it does. <laughs> because of how unique track five is, track six is back as, as a new start again. Yeah, keeping it fresh once more. It starts out with maybe the most shocking moment on the album so far. Just all of a sudden you come in and it's just do 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 Yeah. Like I wasn't ready. <laughs> I was not expecting that. The album's been so quiet and that's probably the fastest sequence of notes so far. Yeah. We'll be together again. It's by Carl T. Fisher and Frank Line. And it's older by the standards from this record. It's from 1945 instead of, you know, the early 30s. Its first release came from a group called the Pied Pipers. Other covers come from Billie Holiday, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Louis Armstrong, Bing Crosby, Rod Stewart, and of course, Seth MacFarlane. Oh, uh, did they do it on Family Guy? Maybe. Actually, I, I can't be sure. I don't know. He's also done just to do parody songs for like other things, so it could really be either way. Yeah, it could. We'll be together again... I think has maybe the strongest playlist pick potential for me. I haven't decided what I'm going to pick yet. Really? But man, I like this song. The melody is so unique. So, so, so good. And it just feels so natural. There's some notes that sound dissonant, but they're not. Like the song is constructed so expertly. This song is almost like a work of art. Wow, big praise. I really like We'll Be Together Again. It's a highlight moment on the album. But then we go to a concept that we've kind of heard a lot with Then I'll Be Tired of You by Yip Harburg and Arthur Schwartz. What a name. Yip. Yip Harburg. Love it. Yip sounds like a real yonker. (laughs) He does. He was at one point. But Then I'll Be Tired of You is a concept we've heard a lot. You brought him up on Ray Stevens, right? And uh, some other time, too. When will the flame burn out? When will the love die? Well... I'll be tired of you when stars go out, when I'm tired of dreaming, when the wind stops blowing, when the grass stops growing, beyond the years till day is night, till wrong is right, till birds refuse to sing. Gosh darn. Again, certified poetry. Which means we need an update on which one's your favorite of the three, I think, iterations of this we've had. What was the third one? Was it Barry Manilow? Was it Michael Bublé? Was it something I brought? I think it was something you brought. In sync. Ah. It was When Winter Comes in Summer. You know the song. That's actually been a longer time ago than I thought. Uh, it has. <laughs> That's when I'll stop loving you. But yeah, between that song, the Ray Stevens one, and this Ella Fitzgerald, 
then I'll be tired of you. Oh, man, I, f- I forget how the Ray Stevens one goes. What are some of the things that he says will happen? Blue Jays will forget how to sing. Well, it's the same as in this song. Because it's when I get over you. When I get over you. That's right. That actually helps me remember. Yeah, I think Ella takes it. I think she's my new favorite version of this song. Really? I disagree with that. Really? Yeah. You just disagree with that because it's Ray Stevens. I like, no, I like Ray Stevens' version better. I think the swing he puts on it, the 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 vocal rhythms with the when I get over you, I think some of his metaphors are better. Well, that's true. This is, it's a little less maybe inventive. It's a lot more nature imagery though. Wind and grass and stars and birds and dawn and the works. I do just like it a lot. But I also don't blame you for liking Ray Stevens' version more. What do you think of Midnight Sun? Well, hold on. We'll get there. Oh. I know you're excited for what that entails. But first, got to talk about the title track, Like Someone in Love. Oh, whoops. I did skip one. <laughs> you did. Oops. That's what I mean. That's what this whole album is like. It's like you just get so lost in it. Like Someone in Love is by Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Heusen in 1944. They made it for the film Bell of the Yukon. Sounds very interesting. Yeah. Bing Crosby's covered this one, as well as some other folks. I like like someone in love but really only on the line like someone in love i think otherwise it's one of my le- lesser not least but lesser favorites on the record which kind of surprises me for a title track i guess thematically it encapsulates everything the album's about because so many of these songs are love songs or songs about the end of love the whole album is generally like how you would react to life yeah as someone who is or has been in love but just in general i think it's whelming yeah i kind of agree it's whelming i like the do 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 from the flute oh i do have to one of the most i think ridiculous lines on this whole album comes in like someone in love she says each time i look at you i'm limp as a glove <laughs> <laughs> that's silly i mean of all the i mean really glove okay glove's pretty limp now nah, yeah i guess maybe but that's what you got to rhyme with love that's it what limp as a dove <laughs> well no but you could use dove in some other way each time i look at you my heart flutters like a dove i don't know limp as a glove though really just pulls me right out of the sweet love song and makes me laugh i don't know i'm really enjoying limp as a dove i think that's the move well that's like a dove that's not alive though yeah you're picking up what i'm putting down yeah we're on the same page you should be putting (laughs) down the dove but i love him i hope you're wearing some limp gloves because birds could carry disease now we can talk about midnight sun if you still want to and eh, nah. well we're gonna do it anyway midnight sun actually has an interesting story behind it first of all i'd be remiss if i didn't point out that the midnight sun is the moon <laughs> yeah it's back we've been back that's true rush was very spacey and all those mixtober full moons you get it anyway midnight sun is by sonny burke lionel hampton and johnny mercer this one started his life as an instrumental. Sonny Burke and Lionel Hampton wrote the instrumental, recorded it, put it out on the radio. It was great. Johnny Mercer, he's driving down the highway in 1947, listening to the radio. The song that they wrote comes on, and he's like, oh, I like this. And he, much like Ella Fitzgerald does when she forgets the words, he starts making up words to this song as he went, as he drove. And he put words to it, 1947, and it turned into Midnight Sun. Ella was actually a major player in popularizing the song, and especially the lyrical version of the song, she would release it again, a second time, on her 1964 Johnny Mercer songbook record. Nice. Yeah, so Johnny Mercer gets a lot more love in the discography of Ella Fitzgerald. This one is one of the longer songs on the album, at just about four minutes. Not the longest, but it certainly feels longer when you listen to it. Like it shows its length. 
but in a good way, I think. It's a very pretty song. I don't know how you're going to do a top three from this album. It's going to be rough. I'm sure it is. And I had that in mind when I was listening to the album. You know, I hit play and I was trying to go through how the podcast would go. And I thought about you. No, I see what you did there. I thought about you. It's track 10 out of 15. It's another Johnny Mercer song. It's another one that's got a bit more pep to it. Yeah, it's a different side of Johnny Mercer than we got on Midnight Sun. Jimmy Van Heusen also did this one too. Mm. Yeah, Mercer was actually inspired by a trip to Chicago. He said, Van Heusen played me the melody. I didn't have any idea, but I had to go to Chicago that night. And I got to thinking about it on the train. I was awake. I couldn't sleep. The tune was running through my mind. And that is when I wrote the song on the train really going to chicago so the lyrics are very apt yeah i took a trip on a train and i thought about you cars parked under the stars winding stream moon on a little town and with each beam same old dream you such a unique take on a travel ballad i really like it yeah i like it too oh and man just everywhere he goes he, he looks forward to where he's going and he thinks about her he looks out the window at the towns going by and he thinks about her i peeked through the crack and looked at the track the one going back to you and what did I do? I thought about you. That's a good line. Isn't it, though? Oh, man. It's great. Famous recordings of I Thought About You include Billie Holiday, Frank Sinatra, and David Bowie. Nice. I know. Yeah, so cool to find a lot of these modern or modern-ish <laughs> yeah, renditions modern. of these jazz standards. David Bowie, real modern guy. Well, I know, but just when you think about jazz standards, Bowie doesn't often come to mind. I mean, I'll give you that. I didn't argue that point. <laughs> Simply your use of the word <laughs> modern. <laughs> More modern than Ella Fitzgerald. Mm. More modern than 1947 when the song was written. I guess I'll give you that. Yeah. Well, thanks. You're blasé. What does blasé mean? Great question. I figured we'd be answering this question on the podcast. So you're Googling it now. <laughs> well, I want to make sure I'm accurate. Blasé, you're unimpressed or indifferent to something because you've experienced or seen it so often before. So you're like numb to it. That's how I'm starting to feel about this album. Oh no, really? Yeah. Did it, did it get old for you in a bad way? Didn't say that. You, I mean, implied it. If you're blasé, you're unimpressed or indifferent i'm gonna been indifferent okay well we're on track 11 honestly that's not bad you made it pretty far at this point another great name here this song is by ord hamilton and bruce sevier it's from 1931 and it first appeared in a london musical called bow bells bow bells unclear with no context Peggy Lee, Louis Armstrong, and more have covered your blasé. It's kind of like a sick burn of a song. Yeah. She's just squared up to this person saying, you've got no enthusiasm. You're uninspired. You just kick around being a couch potato. Normal life is slowly passing by. I like your blasé. It's on my short list of memorable moments from the album. Actually, this one I kind of do like. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah. There's always something to draw you back in. But in general, I'm starting to starting to get there okay you're too full of soup i'm all soupy yeah Nightwind is up next by lou pollock and bob rothberg track 12 I, you're right though i'm also very soupy at this point Nightwind never sticks with me ever never ever never ever it's a nice song and I, I really like the string part in this one the orchestra does a great job of backing her up and and everywhere see what i mean i could say the same things about every track and it's always true they're so similar but so so good one that i did really like though is what's new this is a torch song we talked about what a torch song is we did you introduced the concept sure did yeah i think it was michael buble totally remember it <laughs> a torch song uh, about someone holding out a torch for their other half for the person that they're in love with whether it's requited love or not ah uh, i see they're yearning they yearn 
Yeah. What's New is by Johnny Burke and Bob Haggart, written in 1939, and it was adapted from an instrumental song called I'm Free. The original instrumental featured a trumpet solo. Mr. Trumpet. Mr. Trumpet. (laughs) Actually, the song, the initial instrumental version, was recorded by Bob Crosby and his orchestra on the very same day it was written. Wow. I know, right? I Like, that is baffling. Think about that. This is like 1939. You've booked a studio for your orchestra, and you don't have a song. <laughs> so you just sit down real quick, write a song, pass it around to everybody, and say, okay, we're doing this, and voila, there you go. Anyway, that's the origins of the song. Instrumental. The lyrics came a year later in 1940, and they're meant to be half of a conversation between a couple. She's holding out a torch for her lover. Just trying to start a conversation. One of the bigger, more modern covers of this song comes from Linda Ronstadt in 1983. Her version was huge. It peaked at number five on the adult contemporary charts at number 53 overall. I just, I like what's new a lot. It's really cool. It moves through a lot of different key changes. Parts exist in four different keys which is unheard of today. That is very unheard of today. You'd be lucky to find one key change in a song most times. Yeah. Let alone four. Well, three key changes into four keys. You get it. Of course. Hurry Home is up next. Kind of feels like the flip side of I Thought About You a little bit. You know, one person's left and is on the road. This person is telling them to hurry home. It's by Buddy Bernier, Bob Emmerich, and Joseph Meyer. And it's just another, it's a sad, lonely song. Missing the person that you're used to being around all the time. Feeling very alone and, like, disheartened. Leaving the door unlocked just in case you decide to come back. There's another one that kind of disappeared for me. I get it. I mean, we're almost like 50 minutes into the album by the time Hurry Home comes up. So you've been soldiering through it for a long time. I use the term soldiering very lightly. I was to say, wow. For me. I mean, I feel like it's just a pleasure. Didn't sound like it. You used the word soldiering. It's on the record. Yeah, Hurry Home is okay. But by the time you get to the album, you really are asking yourself, how long has this been going on? <laughs> that's the last track. I actually like this one. It, it, it was another one that started off in a way that made me go, oh. Yeah, because it's very weird. Yeah. This one... If you were going to try and make me believe that she ever sang songs about urination or like strange weird things, this would have been the place to point with these very interesting lyrics. They are weird. Yeah, she talks about how being kissed by her family was like Dante's Inferno. (laughs) And she hated it so much. It's just weird. But then she grows up and realizes what she's been missing. It's a whole thing. It's a weird situation, too, because it's, once again, by George and Ira Gershwin, best rap. And it was in a musical called Funny Face. Oh, it is. Do you know Funny Face? I've heard. I I haven't seen it, but I've heard its soundtrack. What? Yeah. (laughs) What do you keep doing this? Wow. We hit Kaleo, and you're like, I know seven of these ten songs. We hit Ella Fitzgerald, and you're like... Oh, I know Funny Face, the yeah. music. I, again, not one I could have, like, pulled. But then when you said it, I was like, oh, <laughs> I know that musical. Well, just because you know that musical doesn't mean anything. The song was originally in the musical, but the producers had it pulled because they thought it didn't mean anything. Oh, then maybe I don't know it. You might not know the song. I just You said Funny Face, and I was like, what? But you, it's just the fact that you know the musical. But they pulled and replaced the song. Along the way, some changes got made. 
The original version of the song compares kisses between family and romantic partners. Ella's version kind of goes a step in a new direction and compares, you know, kisses for people she cares about to kisses for money. It's a whole situation. And it's a long, it's almost six minutes on this album of very short tracks. This one is virtually a double. I think it drags a little bit for me as a song. Yeah, I agree. But it's all right. It just starts out so interesting. It does. (laughs) But that brings us to the end. That's 15 tracks. 15, I mean, very similar tracks. 15 tie-dyed tracks. That's right. I cannot stress enough. Just because they're similar doesn't mean they're not great. I think a lot of them are constructed very well. Captivating, intriguing, nostalgic. I just really enjoy this album a lot. It is a lot of the sameness. Tie-dye canvas, right? I see a lot of the same things everywhere, but I don't get tired of it. I'll get tired of it when day is night and wrong is right and birds forget to sing and when the grass stops growing and the wind stops blowing, that's when I'll grow tired of it. Let's get into final spin. I feel like I've said everything that there is to be said as far as scores go. Don't worry, I haven't. Really? I'm sure. You played your cards very close to the chest again today. Don't think I didn't notice. I like to do that. I know, but it's a podcast. I know. We're supposed to talk about our thoughts. The whole, it's an audio medium to express yourself. I know. But I do like sometimes the reveal at the end. It's true. I feel like if it's going to be a big reveal one way or the other, I like to hold it in. Yeah, fair enough. Music for me is getting an 88. There's just so much musical complexity here that you don't hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Lyrics, 86. It is pre, pre-dip pre lyrics, right? <laughs> they're good. They're, they're involved. They're emotional. They're vivid. No notes. 86 on lyrics. Instruments and production. I've heard a lot of newer albums that sound a lot worse, to be frank. So no slights, even on like time period that it was recorded in. I think it sounds lovely. The arrangements are consistent and they, I think, elevate and emphasize her vocal in a really special way. Given instruments of production in 80, overall vibe, enjoyable. I think you can learn a lot from this album, which is not something you could say about every album you listen to. I think this album, if you really, really dig into it and focus in on it, I think there's a lot to take away from here. 87, obviously she did not write the tracks herself, compiled them from a lot of very interesting sources, exposed us to a wide range of 1930s, 40s, 50s jazz, which I think is excellent, but no bonus point. So the overall score is an 86.4, landing this record at number 226. Like Someone in Love is below, as far as episodes we've talked about, below Randy Travis, Storms of Life, and it's above Abraxas by Santana for now. Hint, hint. But that's me. What does that mean for now? For now, that's what it means. It means for later, maybe not, but for now, it's above Abraxas. That's the closest episode to it we've done. Oh, that's the closest episode to it. Gotcha. <laughs> I thought you were mean, like, like after this recording, you're going to go move it back below Abraxas. <laughs> no. Psych. Like what? Like, what? Are you planning to re rank Abraxas? Or? No. I mean, eventually, if the score changes, it changes, but. Ugh, just confused me. As for me, I had a problem with this album. You had a, oh, a problem. Do tell. And it's a personal problem. It's a, it's me, not you sort of situation. Sorry, Ella Fitzgerald. It's me, not you. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's your problem? My style, my jazz taste. It, uh, it's been corrupted by the bigger jazz, like sweeping jazz, real intense 
jazz of like a Frank Sinatra or a Michael Buble. Mm, I remember to fire up that first track to Cry Me a River on Michael Buble. Mm-hmm. It's a movie soundtrack. It's loud and in your face. Uh huh. And Frank Sinatra was that way a, a lot, a lot with his song. He was a big, you know, in your face singer. I did it yeah. my way, you know, like <laughs> yeah, he does it his way. But this is absolutely not that. Yeah. And while I like this and can appreciate this again in kind of that chocolate cake, like this would be the almost the inverse of George Strait. George Strait was chocolate cake and I was missing the milk. Ella Fitzgerald is all milk, no chocolate cake. Oh no. I need some chocolate cake. All right, I need some some big in your face jazz to hit my my jazz sweet tooth to wake you up a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. And so while I like a lot of these songs individually, like I any almost any one of these 15 tracks would make a good glass of milk on a like a jazz playlist sure but as a 15 i mean i'm chugging milk over here we know how that goes on this podcast yeah it's <laughs> happened before i've just been chugging milk for the last 53 minutes and 39 seconds fair enough that is i think you could make an argument that this album maybe would be better split apart yeah i wouldn't entertain that thought on some albums but sometimes i would this is a time i i would understand and so i want to preface my score with a all the songs individually you know eights and nines out of tens maybe a couple sevens on some of the ones that just didn't stick with me but overall very high mm opinion of the songs yeah but as an album that's interesting this one's gonna get so it's gonna get a seven out of ten Ooh. okay well that's not bad you hyped it up like it was gonna be really rough no no it's just it would have gotten a higher score i think on a track by track basis that like if you took all my track scores like if you let me yeah listen to a track score then like have a little break then come back listen to another one score like if i did it that way you would find a higher score yeah and i honestly kind of want to give this one a six but i'm looking at my sixes yeah no this one's getting a six this Ah! one's getting a six (laughs) he undid it this one's gonna go right above the sky's crying by stevie ray vaughn wow yeah yeah this one's getting uh Six rhapsodizing yonkers. That's right, rhapsodizing. <laughs> With a U. With a U, yes. I think you'd probably be at a low eight if you were to average individual song scores. Wow, that's remarkable. But as an album, it's getting a six. That's so interesting because, I mean, think back a couple episodes to Kaleo, right? Where we had the first half of gritty rock songs and the back half of like slower, lighter songs. And I kind of felt like that album was greater than the sum of its parts, right? Uh-huh. I think those tracks came together into an album that scored higher than it would have if you broke it up. This seems like the opposite, where the album is less than the sum of its parts to you. Yeah. That's rare. Wow. Reaffirms my belief as, of being a singles listener. I suppose so. As for my top three. Yes, I gotta know about this. I get all my picks, right? There's no funny business. Well... You don't get all your picks. I don't? No, you're still one back from Kaleo. You surprised me by taking extra. Yeah. And now you're getting surprised by yourself in the past. That was more than I knew. <laughs> no carnival mention. That's more than you'll ever know, audience. Okay. That was a very natural one. That one didn't even feel very forced. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. My top three in album order. There's a lull in my life. Ooh. Next up, what will I tell my heart? That would be one of mine, I think. And uh, Midnight Sun. Big skip. 
Yeah, yeah, it was a hard one to pick. But I decided to go with Midnight Sun. Interesting. I really thought you'd hook on to something like, then I'll be tired of you. Nah, because Ray Stevens did it better. Wow. So you know what you do for your top threes, where you start with a blank slate, and every time you hear a song you think might make your top three, you write it down, uh-huh. and then you eliminate as you go? Yep. Would you like to know how many of them uh, made the list? I kind of would. Yeah, that's not where I was going, but now I'm curious. 11. Oh, wow. 11 out of 15? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I said individually, they all, the songs all scored very well, just uh, not as a whole. doesn't help that the first four could be one whole song, as I said. <laughs> no. Well, your process for that is kind of what I did when I was thinking about playlist picks. Mm. I listened to the whole album through today, and I was like, this could be my playlist pick. And then the next song came on, and I went, ooh, this could be my playlist pick. And then the next song came on, and I went, oh, but this one. And, and I just started making bullet points, and I've got it narrowed down to five. Oh. And I could even add more if I wanted to, but these five, I'll be satisfied with any of them. My five are, like I said, we'll be together again. Floors me every time. Uh, I added there's a lull in my life. It's probably lower on this list. What will I tell my heart is very high. Then I'll be tired of you, also very high. And I thought about you, pretty high too. You want to do what will I tell my heart and there's a lull in my life? Those two are on your list and they're on my list, so. I would replace lull in my life with we'll be together again. Oh, well, that one's not on my list. I'll try to pick two that were on both our lists. <laughs> I know. Well, if you wanted to pick the one on my list out of the goodness of your heart, then I would tell my heart, thanks. <laughs> no, I would tell your heart, thanks. Whatever. You get it. I'm, I'm picking we'll be together again. Well, I'll pick there's a lull in my life. Okay. I guess that's the way it'll be. Actually, I picked Midnight Sun. <laughs> Why does playlist picks always feel like some kind of like game <laughs> of bluffing now? Does it? <laughs> to see who folds first. Well, like this one in particular, I feel like you pick Lull in My Life hoping that I wouldn't be able to stand it and switch to something else. No, no. I picked it because I was originally going to pick that. But then I decided I like Midnight Sun better. And since you didn't pick one from my list, I'm not picking one from your list either. It was more out of spite. <laughs> I think that's fair. Totally fine. Because we want something that's representative of like both of our favorite favorite songs and if these are truly what our favorite songs are i hit play on midnight sun and that opening instrumental into the horn solo i'm just like that that'll be a fun thing to hear pop up on the playlist every once in a while and moon era yeah it's a bonus but no yeah i really was thinking i was gonna pick there's a lull in my life that was not a bluff (laughs) okay also for the record we forgot to say our playlist picks last week on the rush episode yeah we did but we picked The Passage to Bangkok and Tears. Bangkok was mine, Tears were yours, and then you picked Tears. Uh, I'm full of tears. You cried when I picked The Passage to Bangkok, and then you picked <laughs> Tears. So if you missed it last week, well, here, here it was. was. Hope that didn't cause you to never listen to the podcast again, because now you're missing out. Because we messed up. You will be missing out next week. I'm so stoked. Next week will be a fun one. We're deep into November. We're getting into the season. So stay tuned for more fun. The best ways to stay tuned are to follow us on Twitter at SpinItPod. X, sorry. How dare you. To follow us on Instagram and threads at SpinItPodOfficial. And to find us on our website, www.spinitpod.com. Easy to remember, easy to visit. Whoa, I have a pick coming up? Yeah, you do actually, decent, decently soon. Tell me who you pick, who you really, really pick. I'll tell you who I pick, who I really, really pick. I'm picking, I'm picking, I'm picking, I'm picking. So the Spice Girls then. Okay, <laughs> I'll get ready. No. <laughs> you know me and spicy things, they don't work out. Well, if you got enough milk. I have plenty of it on this one. Be sure to... Like, follow, rate, star, subscribe, have fun, do all the things, tell a friend, 
Tell the most rhapsodizing yonker you know. Go tell a yonker about, about this, this podcast. podcast. And if they happen to rhapsodize, well, that's bonus points. Yeah, that's a bonus. You get a bonus point if you tell a rhapsodizing yonker. Any old yonker will do. Is is old yonker an oxymoron? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we're oxymorons. Let's wrap it up. We're definitely morons. Yeah, that's kind of what I was implying, yeah. Oh, that's what you were going for. Oh, Yeah, that was the joke. Oh, I'm a moron. <laughs> well, that might be, but we'll see you next week. Keep spinning. Should there be a song about your nation on Connor's Sippin' and Hoppin' album? I don't think so. You already want to make it the Brown <laughs> album. Should we sell phonograph needles with your name engraved on them? I mean, honestly, I kind of want to acquire one. How cool would that be? Be pretty heavy. Pretty metal. Real depressing way to end the episode. <laughs>